Peace and welcome. This is Stephon Cook. This is Cook on Quarantine. I'm here with my spiritual leader and guide, <laughs> Pastor Mike. How you doing, sir? Man, you know, trying to survive the apocalypse, as they say, brother. <laughs> yeah. yeah, thanks for doing this, man. There's a um, so you are uh, the, the lead pastor of the Way Christian Center in Berkeley, um, native of San Francisco. I want I want to do a little bit about your story, and I also want to like um, cover a variety of political topics. One one of the reasons why I joined the Way was because of the amount of service and activism. Um, it was like a, a membership that was as busy throughout the week and not just around on Sunday, you know? And so, um, mm -hmm. and you've always been unapologetic about, you know, commenting on current, current events. Um, but we, before we dive into that, like what, 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 is the, what is the daily routine looking like while on quarantine? Like what's, what's, what's going on for you? Man, we're um, definitely, you know, I feel so many roles trying to be a good father and partner um, here in my household. My, my girls are doing virtual school. And so, uh, you know, on our third week now, fourth week quarantine or sheltered in place, um, they, they now got their own routine. You know, they wake up and they log on to the virtual Zoom calls and so you know, cooking breakfast, you know, so just trying to do the family, make sure the family's cool. And then I'm kind of on calls, man, all over the country. People are really catching hell, as you can imagine. Black communities in particular, um, death is, is just uh, visiting a lot of people that we know, we work with nationally, um, bishops of denominations, pastors, um, directly impacted people who are on the front line. So I feel a lot of calls trying to help organize, respond to that. Um, maybe we'll talk about this a little later, but we, we launched a Mass for the People campaign, which is now consumed probably all of my day, um, trying to get um, millions of masks, um, create our own supply chain to hand out across the country to some of the communities. So, you know, doing that and then, you know, as as the, the lead pastor of our church, um, just kind of helping to um, provide some guidance to how we provide ministry to the 300 or so plus folks in our congregation who are looking for um, help, support, spiritual uh, nourishment, um, encouragement, community. So, you know, uh, it, it gets, it, the, the, the mornings come quick and the nights come quicker. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's a full day, but, you know, um, it, it's a deeply challenging season. But, um, you know, I'm thankful that we have some resources, both spiritual and um, all kinds, to be able to share support. Yeah, I've been, I've been attending, attending virtual church on YouTube. And, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Everybody gets bedside Baptist, so it's, it's, it's no, no judgment now. It's like, <laughs> you know, you... you you just you get in, you come on in when it when it fits you, and uh, our our actually our our watching and our giving is up, uh, interestingly enough, which um, has allowed us to to do more charity. Like you know, we're we're not taking the increase in our giving as like to pad our savings. We're actually using the increase in giving to um, help buy lots of food and things like that. So yeah, virtual churches actually become a vibrant part of of our congregational life right now. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I subscribe to the YouTube channel, and um, and uh, I appreciate like uh, yeah. I don't know how many people are actually in the building, but you are you, you bring it the same way. I'm like, oh my case. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, we 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 only have like uh, we got we got our two three ministers. We got three musicians, myself, and the guy in the sound room. So it's it's eight of us. So I, you know, I I only kind of you know I don't know. I think I'd be preaching to myself more than anybody else, you know. But I I I feel like you know if I can help bring keep the energy high, it may help help others feel feel like you know we're not as connect disconnected as it may seem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you found any um, silver linings? What do you think about that phrase, silver linings? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it's certainly denoting this idea that uh, even in challenges, there can be a, a, a bright side somewhere, right? It's just another way of expressing hope. Um, I, you know, I think that, it's easy for us, as my brother says, to curse the darkness and not step into the light, you know, and this whole challenge for us as a people, as a country, um, I mean, you just can't deny the, the death that um, is, it's ubiquitous, it's, it's surrounding us, it's hanging over us. I think all of us now probably have a family member or a friend who's been sick or has passed uh, from this time. Um, so you just can't, you can't skirt over that, you know. Um, that's the dark cloud, and it's a real dark cloud. Um, if there is a silver lining, a hope that you can pull from it, I think it is this this sense that, number one, um, we as a, a community um, are learning how to support each other um, without having to work, um, you know, these nine-to-five, you know, jobs that literally suck the life out of us. Even if you're doing work you love to do, just the grind here in this kind of capitalistic society is just tough, you know? So it has allowed us to be at home together and to just imagine what, what, what did it feel like maybe in times past to, to work um, in, in a less kind of, you know, go, 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 go society. Um, You know, you get to spend all day with your kids if you have them or with your partner or with, Sometimes yourself, you know, which, you know, throughout history, all this is just a part of the human experience. Uh, But it's also, you know, I've been able to see the charity and generosity of everyday people. Um, You know, um, you know, it's it's just fascinating to see how people are extending themselves, whether you're a, a frontline worker in the hospital, we have frontline workers on the streets in the neighborhoods people still going out trying to interrupt gun violence, people serving our unhoused loved ones, people picking up trash and and delivering food to kids because the schools have been canceled. Like all of this is, you know, at some point it's a it's an act of charity, even if you're getting paid, because there's no greater value than your life. And so if you're willing to put your life on the line to help somebody else, to alleviate the suffering of others, that to me is uh, the greatest act, I think, of a silver lining. And prayerfully, we can keep some of that going. We can remake our society, our social vision, and uh, not 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 just suck all the life and the energy out of people uh, in order to keep the society going, but maybe we can all figure out how can we act out of more radical generosity. And, and um, that, to me, would be the, the silver lining. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was really, I, I've been really amazed too. I was out at a food bank yesterday uh, at one of our elementary schools and seeing 
you know, everyone with their just like focused on the task. Like, let's let's get this let's get this done. There's a lot of good energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and for for me, you know, the reason why I wanted to continue to uh, record some of these discussions is because I was thinking like, you know, what what value um, can I capture that could be helpful to people? And uh, and joining the way has definitely added a lot of value to you know my perspective and um and it's challenged me in some ways <laughs> uh, mm. <laughs> uh, what is church without challenge right <laughs> <laughs> challenge me in hella ways <laughs> <laughs> what were your thoughts about bernie sanders dropping out well you know i i think bernie sanders dropping out uh was inevitable once he couldn't win the black vote, you know, um, and, you know, it's a fascinating conundrum for uh, Bernie Sanders and, you know, a lot of progressive white folks um, who always um, fall into a class analysis uh, with a lot of great nuance and muscle memory, but can't figure out how to translate that into a racial analysis. Um, and, and so I think that, you know, um, in as much as I loved all of his policy proposals and ideas, you know, he had six, seven years to figure out the race part and he couldn't, which leads me to believe that, you know, if you are a white progressive living in the most diverse age of this country and you can't figure out a racial analysis, you don't deserve to be the president of a progressive wing of the political spectrum. Um, if you're a conservative, you don't have to figure out nothing but just how to be white, mean, and greedy, you know, and, and, and use religious tropes to, like, you know, be a thin layer of icing on the cake so it tastes better when it goes down your throat, right? I mean, there's no substance in a conservative, political, conservative, Republican vision of America or of the world. It's, it's all exploitation. It's all, you know, uh, insular. It, it's, it's, it's a human hierarchy that does not have room for all of creation, right? But folks who, whether you're agnostic, whether you are non-theist, whether you are, you know, person of faith, if you claim to be someone who believes in, say, a progressive, inclusive vision of the world of creation, and you've not done the work to figure out how to articulate that uh, to those who are the most directly impacted by the underbelly of, of, of a system, uh-huh. <laughs> you don't know how to you don't know how to how to communicate that to the most directly impacted. Um, then I just feel like you know only in a certain part of a progressive uh, political uh, or progressive context can you win. And so I just think you know it sucks. It definitely sucks for all of us who who love the platform of Bernie Sanders or the progressive wing of the Democratic Party that, you know, we don't have that kind of a champion at the top of the ticket. Um, but, you know, him dropping out, I think, now gives us more time to try to unite um, the, 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 uh, the many factions necessary and important distinctions of the Democratic Party electorate, right? Because, you know, the, the Democratic Party electorate is not the Democratic Party. <laughs> you know, there are a lot of people who, who just fall into the electorate part because we know that, you know, um, in many cases, you, you just have a two-party system and you just, have to, you just have to choose from the best options you have. 
but but the party has to continue to figure out how do we cultivate better candidates and make room for visions of America, of states, of, of cities that don't depend on a kind of centrist uh, vision that, that just continues to maintain the status quo. So I hope Bernie Sanders, you know, stays um, committed to uh, his role in, in, in this process, but it's time for other new young leaders who can actually do the race work to kind of um, blend it with a class analysis and an intergenerational analysis and a, and a geographic, you know, um, level of competency and, and unite, unite all of these particular visions um, so we can move, move the country forward. I kind of want to, I want you to address if you wouldn't mind. So there's this thing about Biden's mental health, which uh, is kind of picking up steam in the conversation. There's also this aspect of, um, you know, if someone wanted to argue uh, who's more racist, Donald Trump or Joe Biden, or who's more, who sent more black people to jail, Donald Trump or Joe Biden, <laughs> um, mm -hmm. you know, I would, I would think that uh, that would be an argument that, um, that there would be points on both sides, you know? Like, what, what, what would you say to, so there's, what would you say to that part? Then I kind of want to go back into the Biden mental health thing, if he's, if he's well enough. To yeah, know. I mean, I, I, I'm not a Biden fan, but I think anyone who would attempt to compare Joe Biden to Donald Trump just doesn't sound very serious, you know? And I've said the same way about Hillary Clinton. You know, I, I was kind of, I'm, I, I'm definitely not a, was not a Hillary Clinton fan by any stretch of imagination. But, um, you know, Donald Trump is just a different monster. And I think we all have to learn to calibrate and be a lot less, um, a lot less, uh, uh, um, uh, I don't want to say, say, say ideological, but, but, but just look at the material conditions, right, of, of, of what a Trump presidency, the first four years, and another four years would do. Now, if anyone thinks that a Joe Biden presidency would not be an improvement on a Donald Trump presidency, I just think you're probably speaking from a very significant place of privilege and irrationality. Donald Trump is an existential threat to the world. <laughs> not, not, just, world. not just to the United States, you know what I'm saying? Like his geopolitics are are just as unintelligible as this crisis he's been trying to manage here in the United States. Um, you know, he there's just all kinds of just just decision making that we don't even know the damage he's done. Um, and um, you know, the way that he is um, a plutocrat, he's an oligarch. He is. Uh, obviously siding with the super, super wealthy. And I know that some folks have that critique of Joe Biden may be very valid. Um, but I think the politics of Joe Biden as a neoliberal um, are very different from the politics of Donald Trump, who's a wannabe authoritarian dictator. And so we can't, we can't fall into the same trap that we accuse Bernie Sanders of falling into, where he didn't have a racial analysis, but he had a class analysis. We can't fall into the same trap of being oversimplistic about the distinctions between these two. We have to appreciate that uh, on the Supreme Court, um, the next president will pick likely 
Ginsburg's replacement. Um, Hillary Clinton, if she was the president, would definitely not have picked the Republican appointee. Uh, uh, what's the, what's the, the, the rapist guy that's on there, right? Um, and and the, the results of these kinds of decisions, they last a generation, right? And so I just think we all got to, we have to grow, grow and be mature and be pragmatic. Um, the idealism of, of what it means to be young is, is the beauty of youth. Um, but if you talk to elders um, who have lived through the worst of uh, the American experiment, at least in our lifetime, um, we don't know what 2021, 22, 23 will look like in a post-corona age. And I think we want to have someone in office who um, we at least have the confidence that he will put people around him in his administration that believe in science, that hold some progressive commitments and tendencies, even if they may be more uh, left-leaning uh, or centrist than uh, the, 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 the president himself, right? And so, yeah, I just, I just think that it's really important for us to, to, to clear our eyes a little bit, um, you know, not allow the disappointment of our ideal candidate uh, not winning to to make us uh, confuse a Biden presidency with a Trump presidency part two. Um, can you imagine what a Trump presidency part two would look like now that he knows that there is no Republican uh, counterbalance to his wickedness, evil, and um, mendacity? Um, I just, I just, I don't think any of us want to, want to, want to try that again, right? And so, it's always up to us as the people. You know, I don't have to be excited about Joe Biden as a candidate to go vote for him. I just need to realize that if I don't vote for him, then I'm guaranteeing another four years of chaos. So, if you love yourself and you love your grandmamas and your nanas and them who live in the South, they don't live in California, they don't live in New York, they don't live in Chicago. They don't live in these bastions of progressivism where you can, you know, uh, just move around and be on Twitter and Facebook. These folks live in Klan country still right now. Um, you ought to vote for the candidates that will at least make sure that the Department of Justice and the Housing Department and the Health and Human Services Department, the federal arms of our democracy or of this country can, can be extended to people who don't live in what Gavin, Gavin Newsom says, the nation state of California, right? That's the privilege we have. Mm -hmm. the, there's, there's been a lot of talk on the internet, I suppose, um, and maybe in some other circles about, uh, does, is, is Joe Biden's mental health well, based on like this type of stuff that he said in interviews? Of, have you noticed that? Do you have concerns about that? Oh man, you know, I feel like we watched we watched uh, Vice President Biden age right before our eyes. You know, not age in the sense of ageism, but just kind of lose. He's he's kind of lost a step. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Um, you know, there's some moments where he 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 looks like he just can't finish a sentence. Um, you know, and he forgets what he's talking about. But you know, I still think that a bad Joe Biden is better than a the best that Donald Trump has shown us. See, I got, I got to see, I got to believe we all got to remember that this is not a monarchy. The president of the United States has a cabinet that enacts of a political philosophy instead of commitment. 
Um, and so as long as Joe Biden picks Stacey Abrams or Elizabeth Warren or or uh, Kamala Harris, a black woman, preferably, which is what he said he was going to do, I think. As long as he picks someone like that and then fills his cabinet out with all the competent people we know are out there, then Joe Biden pretty much can just come out and wave like the queen for all we care, right? As long as we got the people around him that can execute a political vision that make sure we have health care for everybody. And if it's not everybody, for as many people as we can. Make sure that we are able to steady the economy, but not make it an economy that is only about profiteering. Make sure we, we, we get the education department back on track. Make sure we get the, the uh, housing departments back on track. You know, like you, you, need, you need department heads who aren't like tied and wedded to corporate uh, uh, interests and, and things like that. And so, you know, I know that some folks feel like, you know, Biden is, is just going to get in there and, and, and I don't know what kind of political, you know, leader they think Biden's going to be, but you know, the, the, the idea that Biden would go into the presidency and reenact the 94 crime bill again is I think just a quite a terrible political analysis, right? This is a different time. Criminal justice reform, thanks to the young people in Ferguson and in 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 uh, in Baltimore and here in Oakland, like criminal justice reform is a plank of the Democratic Party. You can't you can't even you can't even get through the front door if you ain't talking about criminal justice reform. Um, you can't get through the front door now unless you're talking about figuring out how to increase health care. You can't get through the front door if you're not talking about how to decrease our our foreign um, uh, commitments with the military. So. So the party has changed, and all of all of the elected officials who are part of the party, they've had to move to the left. Now they may not be all the way hanging out on the on the left diving board, getting ready to jump into the ocean, but 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 I just think it's really really important for us to remember what the president will do. The president will pick a cabinet, will pick judges, will be the 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 kind of uh, megaphone for a set of values and decisions that hopefully will correct um, or at least put back on track, um, you know, a, a, a government that has been, you know, just just going off the rails. I mean, I, at the very least, we know that, that Biden won't be praising white supremacists. <laughs> we know that Biden's not going to be out here like, you know, uh, berating reporters. And, and, we, you know, it's just certain things we know that he's not going to do. Some say that's a low bar. Yes, it is. It is a low bar. But but you know, think of the low bar as a step uh, a step in a stairwell. Let's take that first step and let's try to get out of this nightmare and just go back to a bad dream, and then we'll go we'll go up from there. Campaigning right now isn't like uh, you know it's kind of it feel it comes off kind of tasteless. Like like um, I mean, it's, I, you you physically can't right because because of all of the social distancing stuff. But trying to Yada yada yada. Every but politicians are politicians, and so what I'm noticing with people who are they're they're it seems it's coming maybe not they're doing it intentionally, but it's coming off like they're trying to leverage the crisis for their next political position, mm -hmm. or maybe people mm -hmm. are, they haven't said it themselves, and maybe this is the way you want to come off in a in a situation like this. But the but you know how you respond showcases an attraction or a leadership that. Mm -hmm. part of another conversation. Um, I think it's probably also partially due to the fact that there is no excitement around a Democratic 
nominee. And so um, we have people like Newsom and Cuomo, uh, you know, the governors of California and New York that are, um, they're being presented as these alternatives to Biden. And, uh, and they're a part of a national conversation now because of all of the, this dire situation that we're in. Um, what, have, what have you taken, if anything, away from like their leadership emerging and, and how it's happening on um, the back of, of this thing that we're dealing with? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I, I think that every crisis, I mean, dare I say every, every, every day presents an opportunity for leaders to lead. If you're in a leadership position and you have influence and you have the responsibility to be a decider and to, um, you know, help um, chart the trajectory of people's lives, um, it, it certainly is not lost upon, I think, many of us that in a crisis, you want someone who has judgment, who has compassion, um, but also someone who's willing to, to make a big decision um, and take in the necessary information uh, through all the filters and, and decide something that that has a result that matches the, the highest possible good. I think that it's obvious um, that we have a vacuum of leadership at the federal level, and that vacuum of leadership has literally cost us lives. Uh, people have needlessly died, um, and 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 um, and that's sad because even with the social distancing, we are seeing that you know um, it's not in the hundreds of thousands like we thought. Um, but if we were to respond, it maybe a month earlier, maybe two months earlier, maybe it'd be even half of what it's expected. And those are real lives, right? So, you know, I think what we've seen with, with Governor Newsom and Governor Cuomo, at least from an optics point of view, is just such a, it's a, it's a calming, um, it's a calming effect for people who um, at this point are still obviously distrustful, disgusted, um, and embarrassed by the federal leadership that we, we have to we have to depend on. You know, Donald Trump, Pence, you know, all these guys, you know, it's obvious, you know, they're 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 in over their heads so much, you know, that it's it's it it stopped being funny like after the first week. Then it's just terrifying, right? But you still see the blind spots, right, of some of some of some of these leaders, whether it's Newsom, whether it's 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 uh, Cuomo, you still see that um, you're only as good as your experiences and the people you surround yourself with. And so, you know, folks that I know in New York, you know, that are, you know, have lived under a Cuomo, uh, you know, governance, you know, are, are are still highlighting that, you know, he he does not have um, the right politics related to, um, you know, criminal justice reform or the ways in which. Um, you know, we attend to our our most um, our most vulnerable among us. You know, um, you know he. I think he's saying the right things as relates to the temperament. You know, and I think he's leading under the best circumstances. You know, I mean, you know, New York is 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 New York City in and of itself is its own country, just like L.A. is. You know, um, so I, I give him respect in just the leadership he's providing. But I think if you talk to people and peel down. There's some critiques. I think the same thing with Governor Newsom. 
you know, it's just been great to to see how he's 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 led. You know, um, I even you know uh, uh, reached out to the governor's office and got a chance to talk to their staff when the National Guard was being floated after he passed those orders, and we started to see tanks and and armored vehicles being you know moved throughout the state. And, you know, we expressed our dismay about that, about the way he rolled that out and didn't have enough information and guidance and and um, that it was terrifying, you know, black folk for sure that I knew. Uh, many of us don't want the National Guard in our communities under any circumstance. If they're here as a humanitarian effort to pass out food, find some other folk to do the food, you know, like give it to the churches. You know, let's develop mutual aid agreements, you know, between uh, the the ways in which National Guard will interact with citizens and folks, particularly in black, brown, urban neighborhoods. And so that that was received well, you know. Um, and so I, I just appreciate, you know, leaders lead. They sometimes may have some blind spots, but the the big test is how do you respond when, you know, people of goodwill are trying to help help compensate some of those blind spots and so i'm impressed with i'm impressed with 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 uh governor newsom's leadership as a native san franciscan when i came back from duke uh in 2005 that was the first time i heard him speak it was at a tavis smiley state of black america event and i was looking at that brother i said man that dude whatever that it is he got it he he gonna be the president one day and uh you know his career is went through some whines and ups and downs, but he's, you know, he, he seems like he has a good grasp of what, what leadership in a public space looks like. And so um, I would not criticize uh, leaders when they step up to lead in a crisis. I think that's what we all want. We want leaders leading and we want them leading with, with courage, with conviction, with compassion, with clarity, uh, with integrity. Um, and, and I think uh, we have different expressions of, of those, kinds of qualities coming through in, in both the governors of New York and California. And we should all be grateful for that. Yeah, I wanted to kind of t touch on uh, some of the, the outreach that the way does. Like I, at the start of this, I talked about, and obviously that has changed um, with COVID, but uh, this, this isn't a congregation that is just there on Sunday. And so, mm -hmm. um, you know, and I, and I, and I know about your, some around your activism related to like the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, what are some of like the, the major areas of focus and how is the congregation activated around those things? Yeah, so, you know, the, the way is a, a, a Pentecostal uh, holiness grounded con congregation. A lot of people don't always know that because, uh, you know, um, we don't have all these titles and stuff attached to our, our church. But our church flows out of a Pentecostal sensibility. It's my tradition. It's the tradition of my parents and a lot of us who uh, have founded the church. Um, and, you know, at the heart of Pentecostal Christianity, there's a fusion between um, both the body, the spirit, and the world. Uh, John Wesley, who is uh, uh, Wesley and uh, the founder of Wesley and Wesley, the Methodism, talked about um, there can be no um, there can be no personal holiness without social holiness right this idea that personal piety um, is not the 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 purpose of of Christian formation that you know one's personal piety must bear itself out in a public space 
And so um, the church that uh, we've been blessed to steward, we're going on our 15th year, um, we we started to pull together what we call the DNA of the way. And there's kind of four things that really help uh, identify our church. We say our church is home. It's a place where people can belong, where people can be seen, where people uh, can can uh, know their names uh, are are constantly being called out. It's like the cheer song. Don't you want to go where everybody knows your name and you're always glad you came. You want to be where you can see. Your troubles are all the same. Uh-huh. Don't you want to go where everybody knows your name, right? So, you know, home, we take that seriously. What does it mean for us to be a family-oriented um, space that is not over-identified by either our last name as relates to home or our um, social categories, right? Um, knowing that there's difference and knowing that, you know, we so not everybody agrees on everything. But I often say you don't agree with yourself half the time on a lot of things, and you still are have to learn to be at home with yourself. The second thing we talk about is, is it, because obviously it's a church, we are a, a congregation that takes spirituality very, very seriously, Christian spirituality very, very seriously. We are built around the life, the teachings, the mission, the model, the, the, the revelation of Jesus Christ in the world. Um, we're unapologetic about that. We think that um, it, it gives us a broad range and spectrum of, of, of tools and lessons that are eternal that can help us steward creation in a most just way. We talk about uh, we are a congregation that is serious about what we say de-churchification. And de-churchification is this sense that, you know, all of us have been a part of religion or church and have picked up and learned things that, you know, sometimes become an anchor uh, or a weight more than um, a, a source of liberation. So what does it mean for us to de-churchify ourselves? For some of you who are not, you know, deeply spiritual or believe in church in an academic space, it may be called decolonize, right? Like how do you pull away some of those parts of, of faith and religion that are, um, accoutrements of white supremacy, human hierarchy, exploitation, capitalism, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so all that sounds great to all of us who are like super liberal, progressive, et cetera. So we don't come out and say it like that necessarily, but we teach and preach in those kinds of ways. And we find that it does help folks feel liberated. Then the fourth pillar we talk about is justice. What does it mean for us to ensure that um, we, we demonstrate a way of discipleship uh, where if you are a follower of Jesus at the way, we are interested in saving both the soul and the body. We're not just trying to get get folks into heaven, although we want that. We want heaven both uh, here in the now and in the afterlife. Um, and so because we know that people are catching so much hell in uh, real life, then what does it mean for us to leave the four walls of our congregation? If you're a teacher, what does it mean for you to understand that your teaching is an extension of the, the, the heaven we're trying to create here on earth. If you are a sanitation worker, if you are a community member, volunteer, if you are an elected official, if you are organized, if you are activist, like all of our work has to be about dismantling the kingdom of Satan, the devil, the evil one, the adversary, all that that stands against righteousness and justice and peace and hope and life. So our congregation has been a fascinating, eclectic group of folks who have leaned into that vision. Um, and, you know, you've already stated it, it's quite diverse, but it is predominantly black. I say our congregation is about 60, 70 percent black. And so the cool thing about that is that we don't have to 
um, surrender the kind of connection we have to the black church, which one could argue has been an engine for all, if not most, of the, 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 the jumps this country has had to make in order for it to become, uh, as Dr. King says, deliver on that check that is written, right? A check of uh, equality and, and justice and, and, and uh, economic and political uh, liberation for, for people. And so I'm, I'm blessed and proud, man. Yeah, as a pastor, when I see members of our church, like, you know, out there doing it, you know, it just makes me feel good because um, as I say the congregation, um, I mean, I, I know a lot of people, so this may not always be true necessarily for me, but as a pastor, um, your congregation will meet and influence many, many more people cumulatively than a pastor would speaking up behind a pulpit, you know, you know, once or twice a week. And so um, that's the best of the church in my mind. It's, it's us going outside the four walls. It's us um, taking the, the, the best of our faith and, and bringing it to bear on the worst conditions of our society and um, being an agent of liberation, reconciliation, self-determination for those who, as Howard Thurman says, stand with their backs against the wall. I often hear you talking mm. about, um, you know, white supremacy, decolonization, um, and, and pointing out the, the harms of capitalism. Um, can, what are your reflections on it? Like, as a, are you like anti-capitalist? Are you like, what, how are you, what, what are your views on? Yeah. Well, I, I think I, I, I want to be an anti-capitalist, you know, uh, you know, I think that am I anti-capitalist? I mean, you know, I think it's hard to, 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 to say many of us are anti-capitalist because the, 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 economic structure we operate in, all of us, is capitalism. Um, but I do think it's important to critique capitalism because capitalism, as a matter of fact, is um, about uh, scarcity. Um, it is a system that, that depends on um, the haves and the have-nots. Um, it, 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 it creates merit-based awards and distinctions that are not necessarily grounded in the, in the shared and common dignity of every single person. Um, you know, and so um, Jesus was a socialist. I believe that at least from his economic vision, Dr. Martin Luther King was a socialist. And so I think it's fascinating that, you know, the people who I revere as like my models for ministry and, and whatnot, they exhibited uh, a way of being and engaging with both culture and systems uh, that were radically, radically um, not about haves or have-nots, but about, um, you know, interdependence, a radical interdependence that did not create hierarchy, but, but hope to dismantle it. So I think it's really important for us to, to keep pushing ourselves to imagine a vision of a society that does not require exploitation, that does not require the, um, the kind of inequities uh, of, of both uh, uh, resources, um, health. I mean, this pandemic is laying bare all of the, the, the kinds of uh, built-in uh, deficiencies of capitalism. Now, you know, there are some folks whose model of say socialism, communism, 
uh, are only kind of associated with like you know the despots right uh the 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 kind of um uh, uh political leaders that gave rise to you know some atrocities uh say in you know Europe but i just keep arguing to people while folks that were critiquing the the communists of Europe uh black folk here were getting lynched and 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 and, and crushed latinos were getting you know, beaten and, and, and Chinese Americans were being put in camps. And so, you know, capitalism, has, you know, capitalism has been great for, for all, all people in America either. So we have to then, particularly on the other side of this coronavirus, I think, just reimagine a new world. Um, you know, I was talking with a dear friend of mine who uh, is in Chicago, Otis Moss, and he was talking to me about Denmark. And how Denmark literally, and I, I have to research this more, Denmark has literally um, put it, its country into a recession, um, taking this time to allow its country's economy to reboot itself so it can remake itself. Um, it is using this moment to reimagine a way forward. And I think part of what all of us have to do is not try to hold on to the normal that actually has produced black death, millions of unhoused loved ones, um, uh, mainstream or, or uh, large numbers of white Americans working 40, 50, 60 hours a week and still can't get their basic needs met, uh, a, 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 a wealth gap and a, a wealth vacuum to the top. That's the best of what we've been able to do with the economic system we've had. And so if anyone will claim that this is the best we can do, then I think you have a, a underused and deficient imagination. Uh, so capitalism as a faith leader, someone who preaches and teaches the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven, who is always compelled by the biblical sacred text to see a new heaven and a new earth, I want to believe that capitalism is not heaven. <laughs> Um, and so if capitalism is not heaven, then what does it mean for us to push ourselves to imagine a new heaven and a new earth? There may be people in our congregation, folks like yourself or others, just by hearing these challenges, and they're economists, they're political leaders, they're educators. They may then go and they may be, you know, struck with a bolt of lightning of innovation and spirit, and they may be the ones to help catalyze a new way of imagining. I don't believe as a faith leader I have the answer for what the economic system is going to look like. But I do believe I have a responsibility to help continue to sound the alarm. Uh, as Dr. King says, we need to be firemen. You know, when you see a fire, uh, a fire truck running through red lights, you understand that there's an emergency. And so we need to be, as faith leaders, as people of faith, the, the fire engines running through red lights, breaking some of these rules because we're, we're sounding an alarm that there is an emergency. And so uh, Black Lives Matter work, you know, all the stuff that we've been doing related to police, uh, community relationships, equity stuff, criminal justice reform, addressing gun violence, we're doing it because we want to sound the alarm that this is not the best we can do. And for all of us who, you know, feel like Donald Trump is the root of our problems, white supremacists are the root of our problems, conservatives, Republicans are the root of our problems, I just offer humbly, as a, as a native and son of San Francisco, Donald Trump nor uh, the Ku Klux Klan have yet, to our knowledge, 
been the leaders of the governments of the Bay Area. <laughs> uh, the Bay Area is ran by progressives and ran by people who claim to be the most liberal uh, in the country. And yet black people are displaced at a rate that gives you whiplash. Unhoused folks are seen as such a nuisance that uh, folks would rather leave them outside to die than put them in, a, in buildings and apartments that are empty. Um, our education system is on life support in many of our municipalities in this region while we still have a booming uh, industry of incarceration and immigration detention systems. Um, inequality around resources are at an all-time high here in the progressive bastion of the world. So I often tell my white progressive friends, you know, you need to get off your high horse and, 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 and think about what is it that we have not learned um, that we can talk in a progressive way, but we can't govern in a progressive way. And we ourselves may be a little too hypnotized and mesmerized by the powerful, the wealthy proximity to those who, who uh, through the, the, the strength and the, the force of their, their, uh, their organizations and corporations, they just have too much influence. And so it's, it's, it's an important conversation for all of us to keep thinking about. Um, I don't think one person can uh, have the answer. This is why, again, in a democracy, um, you know, many voices need to come together and reason together and, and act out of a sense of compassion and integrity and vision and prayerfully we'll get the world uh, that uh, our children deserve. We're recording this on Good Friday. Easter Sunday is coming up. I don't know if I'll be able to release this yeah. before then. But um, uh, the way, uh, well, what are all of the ways you can access the way? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and I'll just say to all of us as well, going through this, this difficult season, you know, Good Friday is the day where it appears Jesus lost and, and death won. And so all of us right now are definitely enduring a season where we're, we're, we're struggling and, and becoming much more cognizant of our mortality, what it means to be human, what it means to often be in a very vulnerable space and place. And so as we endure this season of Good Friday, not just in the, the liturgical season of the Christian tradition, but one could argue in, 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 in the cycle of history of our country, just be reminded that resurrection is on the way. Um, Good Friday is gonna require some weeping though, so we're not gonna run past the death. We're gonna do our lament. We're gonna do our, our deep questioning of God. Where are you, Jesus, on the cross? Ask God, why have you forsaken me? So if Jesus can question God and then not diminish Jesus' divinity, then you and I can question God and it won't diminish our humanity. God is not threatened by the questions of our anguish. Um, just keep asking those questions to God. And so uh, be encouraged, everybody, all of us that are dealing with uh, this, this season. If you want to join and hang out with us, uh, we're on Facebook, um, facebook.com backslash thewaycc. We're on Instagram, uh, The Way Berkeley. Um, we're on Twitter, The Way Berkeley. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, uh, my, my uh, you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff, Pastor M-Y-K-M-A-C, uh, Pastor Mike Mack. I used to tag Mike Mack on the buses when okay. I was growing up in the Muni buses Mike in San Francisco. <laughs> so you know, I, I I was trying to change it, but I can't never. I go on Twitter to change it. I can't never find nothing 
that 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 is as compelling. So yeah, you can follow me and all of us on Twitter and come hang out with us. We're a good group of people. Um, we have folk in our congregation who are on lots of different spectrums of the of the religious, spiritual, Christian tradition. Uh, but we're just trying to be human. We're trying to love God, love our neighbor, and uh, serve the world. So thanks for having me, bro. And I endorse Steve Stevan Cook. You the homie. You you got a great heart. You've been formed and shaped in the right way, and uh, you you stay close to the people. So blessings in all your endeavor, man, and stay strong. 